want to invite you um, to turn to Luke chapter 17. Use your smartphone or Bible that you brought, or we have Bibles on the table, and you can grab one every week and use it. Luke chapter 17. You know, it's been estimated that about 25% of the Bible, maybe a little bit more, uh, was prophecy when it was written. That is, it talked of predicted future events that hadn't happened yet. One writer has observed that there are over 1,800 references to the second coming of Christ in the Old Testament. Now, I didn't count those all. Fairly reputable source. The New Testament, which is much smaller than the Old Testament, has over 300 references to the return of Jesus Christ. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, 23 refer to the return of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that no one knows the day nor hour of the return of Christ except the Father himself who is in heaven. Yet for over 2,000 years, you may well know that people have made predictions. They have spent tons of money and hours and hours of study and uh, interacting with people and experts and making predictions about when Jesus would return. I remember clearly one Sunday morning uh, in April of 1982, I can't remember the exact date, I should probably go back and try to locate it for you, and um, it was Sunday morning and it was early before church at breakfast for me. And I opened the Sunday morning paper. I still get the Sunday morning paper. I opened the Sunday morning paper, and on the back page of the opening section was a full-page advertisement that said, The Christ is now here. And I couldn't believe it. I had read about stuff like this. I had read about false prophecies. I didn't think anybody in their right mind in 1982 would want to publish this in a newspaper and take out a full-page ad. And here it was. It, this thing cost thousands and thousands of dollars. It was from the New York Times, and it was syndicated across the nation, and I was reading it in the Des Moines Register. The Christ is now here. The ad was placed by a self-styled prophet named Benjamin Krem from London. He predicted that Christ would appear June 22, 1982. The appearance of Christ, he said, was what the world had been waiting for. All of the world religions had been waiting for this second coming. He also revealed in this ad that the Christ's real name was Maitreya, the Lord Maitreya. He is, according to Benjamin Krem, the world teacher. Uh, he is the name that Buddhists use for future Buddha. Uh, he is the Imam Mahdi, he is the Krishna, he is the Messiah, he is the avatar for the Aquarian age. Wow, all in one. Just wait, June 20, did I say 22nd? Yes, June 22nd, 1982. Cram went on to make other predictions about the return of Christ for 1987, 1997, 2010, he wrote 14 books and he died in 2016. And the second coming did not come. Jesus knew there would be people like this. 
And he told us ahead of time, don't worry about this stuff. We see in Luke 17, this is exactly what Jesus uh, has to say about people who make predictions. Let's start uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Luke chapter 17. Um, Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Think about this question. When will the kingdom of God come? How would you answer that? If you were asked that today, what would you say? When will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. By the way, I think that's a poor translation. This is the one time for sure I do not agree with the 1984 uh, NIV. Um, The later NIV talks about the kingdom of God among you. The kingdom of God is in your midst. That's a better translation, okay? Let's talk about this. Uh, So in verses 20 and 21, the kingdom of God is here now, okay? That's what Jesus' point is right here. It's here now. Let me just remind us, what is the kingdom of God? When we talk about that, because that's one of those sometimes vague terms or themes in the Bible. We use it a lot sometimes. I do. Sometimes I assume everybody knows what I'm talking about, and sometimes I realize not necessarily. So the kingdom of God refers to the rule and reign of Christ. Because Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, According to Revelation 19.16, He is the King. And when Jesus is present, the King is present, the kingdom is present. So the kingdom of God is about Jesus being King or Lord. There's both a sense of now, first century when Jesus was talking, and there's also a sense of yet to come. And he's going to address both of these in our passage this morning. So um, the question is, when? When is it going to come? When is it going to happen? And uh, Jesus answers, the future reality of the kingdom is not predictable. The future reality of the kingdom is not predictable. Benjamin Krem, Jesus said this 2,000 years before you. You can't predict, all right? Um, he said the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed. It's not about your careful observation or your study. It is good to study the future. It is good to study um, all about Jesus returning and what that means and how important it is that we be ready for this because that's crystal clear in Scripture that God wants us to live each day as if today's the day. Which reminds me of a, uh, I, I read about a, like a four-year-old came home from Sunday school, a four-year-old girl, and, and she, she'd learned about Jesus coming back in, in, in her Sunday school class, and she went home and she asked her mommy, do you, do you believe that Jesus is going to come again? And she says, yes, dear. And then she said, do you believe Jesus could come back this week? And she said, well, yes, of course, honey. And then she said, well, do you believe that Jesus could come back today? And 
She says, yeah, I do. And then finally she said, do you believe Jesus could come in 10 minutes? And she said, sure, honey. And she said, Mom, would you comb my hair? She wanted to be ready. Um, so Jesus, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. No man will ever be smart enough to know when Jesus is coming. Uh, verse 21, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. You know, somebody's going to come along and say, the Christ is now here. Didn't happen, did it? Um, in Matthew chapter 24, later in Jesus' ministry, he spoke these words in verse 36. He says, but about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, is that true or not? And if you've done any study, and I've shared this before, but thousands of predictions have been made about the return of Christ. False predictions, no one knows. Also in verse 21, the present reality of the kingdom is right in front of you. That was Jesus' point, because uh, Jesus is present. He is the present reality of the kingdom. Um, back in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, John the Baptist said this. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That was really good news. The king is here. The king is near. And remember John the Baptist's role. He was prophesied in the Old Testament, Isaiah 40. Um, he was, his role was to prepare the way for Messiah. And John is saying the kingdom of God is near. Okay? Um, so I'm, I'm trying to make that connection with you about when will the kingdom of God come? And it's already present with Jesus. Um, Then uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. And if you remember, Jesus spoke these words uh, in his hometown, Nazareth. He went into the synagogue. This is a big theme all through the book of Luke. And you, I've gone back to this over and over again. It's so important. Um, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's reading from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Next slide. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, grace. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that, they were aghast when he said that. They understood the scripture. But he's saying, today it is fulfilled. I am here to proclaim the good news. I am here to do miracles. I am here to heal the sick. I am here to cast out demons. I am here to proclaim good news to the poor. It was about the influence and the reign of God on earth. And Jesus came to have an impact. And people responded to him in faith. The kingdom of God was present right then. Now, if you're not convinced of that, Luke 4.43 says this. Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he was doing. The kingdom was present. 
The good news was the good news of the kingdom. Okay, that's the present form of the kingdom. It's about Jesus and his influence. By the way, what difference has Jesus made in your life? How much influence does Jesus have in your life? How much influence does the kingdom of God have in your life right now? Is he your master? Is he your Lord? If he is, it's having a huge impact. It's going to have an impact in your family. It's going to have an impact where you work, where you live, and all that you do. Okay, verses 22 through 37. This is a long section. The kingdom is yet future. And this is the main part of our passage. Verse 22, Christ followers will long to see that day. Verse 22 Uh, Then he said to his disciples, so the first time he answered a question to the Pharisees, remember he spoke to the Pharisees. Now he wouldn't have said the kingdom is within you. That's been so misused by people about what it means. Uh, If they just mean that it's when somebody believes and the Holy Spirit is in them, well, yeah, I could go for that, but I don't think that's what the context of the passage is. He's talking to the Pharisees who are unbelievers kingdom of God isn't within them. The kingdom of God is standing right in front of them, in their midst, okay? So now he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. This is important. So right now in Luke 17, Jesus is present, but things will change. Jesus will be crucified. He will rise again, and he will return to heaven. And we don't know how long it's going to be before he returns again to establish his kingdom on earth. We don't know. And what he's telling his followers is, there's a time coming when you're going to long for the day that I return. And I imagine those first century disciples did because things get really rough in the nation of Israel in the coming days city of Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. That would not have been a fun time to live in Israel. But here we are, 2019, and Jesus still hasn't come back. Um, the Apostle Paul said these words in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. We can look at our world and we can see Gee, there seems to be a lot of terrible times, at least in some parts of the world today. I don't think we're here yet. The last days are still coming. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Well, I see that, don't you? They're lovers of money. That's true. I see that. They're going to be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. You know, people thought this in the first century, and they thought it in the fourth century, and it's true today, but it's not what it's yet going to be. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's going to get worse. In um, Jesus said... In Mark chapter 24, verses 21, he said, For then there will be a great distress, he's speaking of the last days, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. 
Jesus is saying that in the last days, you know, we might think some of the area is getting really dark in our world, and it is true. And there are a lot of things in our world that dishonor God and are anti-Christian, and it's true. But Jesus is saying when, this, when these last days come, it's going to be totally unparalleled, unparalleled in the history of man as far as how dark it's going to be. And so he warns us of this. Um, verse 23, he also said there will be false predictions about that day. He's alluded to it already. Verse 23, people will tell you, there he is, here he is, do not go running after them. Jesus later would say in Matthew 24, verses 23 and 25 through 25, he says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. Benjamin Cram didn't believe this. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs, even miraculous. There's going to be false prophets who perform supernatural stuff. Expect it. Don't be surprised. Just Christians get duped sometimes just because they see supernatural and think, oh, this must be God. Not necessarily because the enemy has power as well to do supernatural stuff. Great uh, false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, to, you know, to confuse, to trick, to dupe, if possible, even the elect, even Christ's followers. And Jesus said, see, I have told you so ahead of time. He's warned us. Scripture is clear. No man knows the day or the hour. So I think I've mentioned this before, but I remember going out to my mailbox in 1988. I don't remember the month, I'm sorry. And I just got a free copy of 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. I didn't order it, it was just sent out to pastors. That happens. Sometimes we get weird books. Now, the rapture is a term for Jesus coming, and it's a term that we use for 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, that speaks of Jesus coming in the air and the church being called up to meet him. And I believe that's a biblical concept, and it's included in his coming. The second coming refers to Jesus coming again to this earth, and where he comes down to the earth, not in the air, but down to the earth, and when he comes, he's going to bring judgment. It's, it's the end time. It's the last time. It's going to be judgment on earth, and he's going to establish his kingdom that will lead to a forever kingdom. Um, but 1988 came and gone. So in 1989, he published a book with corrections, and it was called The Final Shout, The Rapture Report, 1989. And it, it didn't happen in 89, and so in 1993, he published 23 reasons why the rapture looks like it's going to happen in 1993. And that didn't happen. And then in 1994, he published a correction. And... Uh, the point of all of this is Jesus said there's going to be people who try to act like they know what they're talking about, and they don't know. They don't know. So don't pay attention to them. Don't go after it. 
Study end times. But don't get caught up in somebody with naming a date. Uh, verse 24, Jesus uh, declares that this um, coming will be a spectacular event of shock and awe. He says in verse 24, for the Son of Man in His day, now, the term son of man is, is a term that Jesus most often used of himself. It also identifies him with the son of man in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And all the Jewish people knew that was a reference to God. For the son of man, in his day, this, this time, his day, the day of the son of man, is the same as the day of the Lord. The son of man, in his day, will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. This is not going to be a private event. This is going to be a worldwide, totally spectacular, and it's going to be shock and awe because there's going to be judgment to come. And Jesus is just going to speak the words. And those who are not Christ followers and those who have not honored God will be judged right on the spot. And uh, Revelation chapter 19 speaks of this. And by the way, this, when, when the Son of Man appears in the heavens, that's, that's going to be the revelation. That's what all of the book of Revelation looks forward to, Revelation chapter 19. And Christ is going to be unveiled, and he's, he's coming in judgment in that scenario. It's going to be a total surprise. Nobody is going to be expecting it. Um, the, the entire world will see it all around the globe. So it's going to be a supernatural spectacular. You know, you're not going to be able to uh, explain it by natural events or natural causes. And I never have a problem with Jesus doing the supernatural or God doing supernatural. He's the, he's the creator. Um, verse 25, it will be necessary for Jesus to suffer and die first. This is important. Jesus wants everybody to get this. He says in verse 25, but first, yes, it's true, the Son of Man is coming. Yes, he will be revealed from heaven, and he's coming as a judge. But first, before that, before we get there, before Revelation 19 comes Luke 23, here in Luke 17, 25, he says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So religious leaders already are rejecting him. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, and they're going to continue to reject him, and they're going to have him arrested, and he's going to have some mock trials, and he's going to be brought before Pilate, and they're going to get a vote, and they're going to vote to crucify Jesus, not Barabbas. He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now, Jesus warned of this on many occasions. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he said, do we have Mark 8? He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. That's a lot of information right there. Jesus wanted his followers. But the, you know what? He, he told his followers, and they just couldn't believe it. This, this one happened to Jesus. He's our hero. You know, he's God's special one. He raises people from the dead. This would never happen to Jesus. 
Jesus warned this day would come. Yes, Jesus will be revealed from heaven in a spectacular light show, but this has to come first. He must suffer. He must die. He must be raised again. And then he's going to leave. He's going to ascend into heaven. Verses 26 through 30, people will continue living as normal right up to the very day. People are going to continue to live as if whatever Jesus has said, whatever God has uh, communicated to his people, people are going to live as if none of it matters. And he says it will be just like the days of Noah, verses 26 and 27. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will be in the days of the Son of Man. If you know Genesis, the story of Noah, Genesis 6 through 9, God commissioned Noah to build an ark. And God was planning to bring great judgment on earth. And God gave this period of time while Noah built the ark. And it was a pretty big deal. And it took Noah a long time to build the, the ark. But while he did, he also got to talk about what was coming. And he told his neighbors and people in his community and people around who would come and see him build the ark. He told them about the judgment to come. And they just laughed it off. It's never happened before. Never happened, won't happen again. Verse 27, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day of Noah. There's nothing wrong with eating, nothing wrong with drinking, nothing wrong with having weddings. The point is, they're not paying attention. They're just doing life as usual. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. God's judgment came. Sometimes, you know, people don't like the. Why did God have to do this stuff? Well, for me, the God I know in the Bible is a holy God and a righteous God. And the God I know in Scripture is totally just. Now, if he decides it's time to execute justice... I don't think I'm qualified to say he shouldn't do it. And that's what he did in the days of Noah. He executed justice because um, sin, there was so much evil on his creation. And he executed justice. And it was a tremendous warning to, the, to all of history of how important uh, God's justice is and how important having a relationship with God is. And then the same thing happened with uh, Lot. It's just, it will be just like the days of Lot, verses 28 through 30. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Life was normal. And, you know, God warned the people of Sodom. Because of their sin, they would be destroyed. And he had Lot and his family leave and so they could be saved from this destruction. But the, day of Lot, but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. In Revelation 19, it's going to be just like that. People are going to continue to pursue their lives as normal, as if God doesn't exist, and they're going to be totally destroyed. Sodom... Sodom and Gomorrah was just a small illustration of what is to come. 
when God judges sin. Matthew 24, verse 30. Scripture says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All the peoples of the earth will experience this. When Jesus Christ, who is the Son of Man and the Son of God, is revealed from heaven, all the people will mourn, and you know what? It'll be too late. There will be nothing anyone can do at that point. It will be final. There will be no second chances when Jesus is revealed. We'll come to the last section, verses 31 through 37. Judgment will be eternal and absolutely final. Picking up at 31, on that day, no one who is on his housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. No one in the field should go back for anything. Now, Jesus gives us an important clue here. And what Jesus is always interested in is our hearts. And he taught us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he said, the other stuff will be added to you. The stuff that's important for your life, the needs of your life, God will provide. But he wants his kingdom first. Um, He said, if it's on the housetop, and your possessions are inside, forget the stuff. Jesus is the priority. That's the message. Um, If you're in the field, Jesus is the priority. Nothing else. Now, why is this a big deal? Verse 32, he says, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Lot's wife... If you remember, as she left Sodom and was headed for safety, but she wasn't there yet, she turned around and looked back. And what we understand is that's where her heart was. She was attached to her life in Sodom and all the things she had there that she had to leave behind. And... If you've read the story, she turned into a pillar of salt. She faced the same kind of judgment as the people in Sodom. She didn't set her sight on pursuing the path that God had laid out for her. Verse 34, um, Jesus says, I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. I hope they're husband and wife. One will be taken, another will be left. Um, This has been interpreted in two different ways. Uh, Some have tried to read the rapture into this passage. The rapture is not in this passage. Some would say, well, one is taken taken to be with Jesus, and the other is left for judgment. I don't think that's in the passage. However you interpret, one's going to be taken and one's going to be left. One's going to be with Jesus forever. One's going to be judged forever eternally. But let me just uh, walk you through this. Um, I think it's better to be taken in judgment. That's the whole context here is the context of judgment, and you'll see it just a minute when we get to the very last verse. Um, But this idea of this passage and the Matthew 24 passage being viewed as the rapture 
And it's definitely the second coming, not the rapture. One of the reasons is, in 1969, some of you know, there was a very popular song by Larry Norman. Some of you, depends on your age. 1969, I wish we'd all been ready. I'd like to sing it for you right now, but I can't. (laughs) DC Talk made it a hit. They sang it again in 1995. Some of you caught that version. I wish we'd all been ready. And the whole idea was there'll be two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. The whole idea was it was the rapture. Now, whether you think it's taken in judgment or taken in rapture, it doesn't really make a big deal. But if we look at the context here, he continues on, uh, verse 35, two women will be grinding grain. Together, one will be taken, another left. Now, notice this question, verse 37, because this is crucial. Where, Lord, they ask. Where will they be taken? That's the question. The disciples ask that. They want to know, where will they be taken? We often forget that. We often don't look at the context and see what he's talking, what's going on here. Jesus answers with some kind of a mystery. He replied, where there is a dead body, the vultures will gather. Does that sound like the rapture to you? Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. This was a proverbial saying, meaning it got used in different contexts and different times, so it wasn't like Jesus just invented this concept or these words. But here, I believe, Jesus is making a reference. The where is where these people will be taken in judgment. Where, where people are spiritually dead, they will be in the place of judgment. By the way, which is referred to in Revelation 19 at the second coming. Revelation 19 verse 17 announces for the birds of the air to be invited to the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men at the battle of Armageddon. And then in Revelation chapter 19, verse 24, all the birds gorge themselves on their flesh. This is the where to answer the disciples' questions. Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. He was giving them a clue about judgment to come. So, this is about us. Uh, Jesus and Jesus is coming back, and that gives us great hope. And this has been a great hope from the church for two thousand years. Focusing on the return of Jesus has a very positive and healthy influence on the church. First John chapter three verse three says, "Everyone who has this hope," and it's a referring referring to the verse before that says, "to the appearance of Jesus." Everyone who has this hope of his appearing, according to uh, everyone has this hope, purifies himself just as he is pure. When there's been a focus on the return of Christ in the history of the church, 
There's been a focus on revival. There's been a focus on evangelism. There's been a focus on purity. You know, one of the biggest uh, blinders to the gospel is impurity. One of the things that keeps people from responding to the truth more than anything is an immoral lifestyle, a secret lifestyle. And focusing on the return of Christ um, gives hope and it's helped to purify the church over and over and over again. And so one of the things we see about this passage is judgment is coming and it is very real and how we live makes a huge difference in eternity. Our job is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. That's why we're here. That's why Jesus left us here. It isn't so we can just come together and pat each other on the back and say, how are you doing? Did you have a good week? That's okay. You can do that. But that's not the reason we, we're here. We have a, the reason we're here is we have a mission. And how we live makes a difference. And, um, you know, God's intention for us is to be good news and to live out the good news and to share the good news. So more and more people will respond to who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, I love the quote by uh, Daryl Bach uh, in his NIV application commentary on the Gospel of Luke. He says, Scripture outlines the future, not the detailed dates, but with a general outline of what is to come. Think about that, a general outline. There's a lot of things we know about the future. There's a whole lot of details we don't know. The outline is designed not to have us prepare charts, because that's been real popular in history, is to make Bible charts about when Jesus is coming. And, you know, I'm not against charts, because sometimes charts give us big picture. But let's not get too caught up or too weirded out about charts. It's not to prepare charts, but to prepare hearts. That's the most important thing. What about your heart? Does Jesus have the primary influence in your life? Is he the master? Is he the Lord? Who's running the show at your house? Jesus wants your heart. Let's stand. Father, we just uh, thank you for scripture and thank you for truth. And thank you for the hope that we have that one day you will make things right. And one day you're going to judge all sin and you're going to remove evil. One day there will be no more abuse, no more murder, no more sexual sin. No more selfishness, no more stealing, and no more lying. One day you will make all things right. You are totally just in your decisions. And God, we trust you. Father, remind us again today to put Jesus first in our lives. To reflect and if there are things have gotten out of line that we 
make those adjustments, that we acknowledge uh, where we've put things before you or people before you, whether it's a career, whether it's some material possession, some relationship. God, if, if it's um, just pursuing stuff, help us to see where we need to realign and put under the Lordship of Christ. May you be first. May we be reminded to offer our bodies, our entire lives to you as living sacrifices. Because it's holy and pleasing to you. Lord, enable us to walk into the future with great hope, with empowerment from the Holy Spirit. May we represent you well. May we be good news and seek to share good news. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.